following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. The text that we just read is a text about God's God's saving love and saving compassion, not not just for the world, but but in particular for for those that have been rejected by the world. All right. And I I, want to dive into that this morning. It's a it's a it's a real it's a it's a beautiful text. It's a very deep text and a personal text because of just how intrusive Jesus is in this woman's life. But I think there's so much for us to learn in this conversation. And so, and so one of the things that, that, that we get a chance to learn is that Jesus has a high value for women. And that's something that I need to say over and over and over again, because oftentimes Christianity gets a bad rap for, 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 its, uh, for its treatment of women. And don't get me wrong, there are some people that have made a mockery of Christianity in their treatment of women, but it's not because of the faith itself. The faith itself elevates women to a high place, all right? And I, and I, and I want to help you guys make sense of that as we walk through this text. But it's not just about women, it's about, it's about the gospel, and you, and you see that playing itself out in, in, the, in the course of this text as well. And so we want to dive in and just look at this conversation. There's three things in this conversation that I want to focus on. One is the context of this conversation, because the context tells us everything about the conversation, all right? But the other thing that we want to talk about is the actual content of the conversation. What is entailed in this conversation that matters so much to us? And then lastly, the, uh, the third thing that we want to talk about is the change that comes as a, pro- as a product of this conversation. What happens to this woman as a result of this conversation that she has with Jesus Christ? And so let's start with the context of the conversation. Beginning at verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Let's just start with a question. Why is this such an unusual request? I mean, how many times have you asked somebody for a drink, right? Doesn't seem unusual on the surface. But we know from the beginning that this story, that, or from the beginning of this story, that this request absolutely rocks this woman. And we know by the end of this story that this engagement, this encounter, not only rocks the woman, but it rocks the disciples that are, that are watching. Well, they're not watching yet. They're, they're on their KFC run. But once they get back from their KFC run, they're completely stunned when they see Jesus engaging and talking to this woman. So we need to ask ourselves, what is so unusual about it? And we discover that they're caught off guard for different reasons. Um, and as we unpack the reasons, what we'll also uncover is God's great compassion towards his daughters, and the great desire that he has to see them crowned with the worth that they are deserving of in the title of woman. So let's start with this. This is what was unusual about the request. Jesus was speaking to a woman. That was what was unusual about the request. At least that's what the disciples picked up. 
As the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is coming to a close, we get a sneak peek into the conversation that the disciples are having in verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her, right? (laughs) They were too scared to ask. But they were shocked that it was happening. And this was not common to be surprised because Jewish women were given great dignity in the Old Testament. But by the time of Jesus, much of that value had been reduced and had been diminished. And women were not at all to be engaged in public with men or by men. A man was not even expected to speak to his own wife in public. Women weren't even considered credible witnesses in court, and and therefore their eyewitness testimony, their eyewitness testimony was for the most part inadmissible, couldn't be used, because according to the old saying, women could not be trusted. So very much diminished. You even see this in, in today's day. For example, you look at some of the honor killings that are taking place, not just overseas, but even in our own states. In 2000, there was a study done, and they, and they estimated that roughly 5,000 women a year are killed in quote-unquote honor killings, that being that they brought shame upon the name of their family. Maybe they dressed what they would consider to be inappropriately by showing, I don't know, calves. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they dated someone that they didn't feel like needed to be dated. or, Or they didn't feel like they should date. And they would lull people. Maybe they flee to another country and they start becoming too westernized. And and they would literally lull their family members back, their daughters and their relatives back and say, hey, you need to come back. Your, Your grandfather's about to pass. And they would come back and their grandfather would be very much well and good and healthy. And they would, along with the grandfather and the father and the mother and everyone else, would kill their daughter. 5,000 a year. The diminished value of, of woman. However, however, as we read the scriptures, we see it as Jesus defending the dignity of woman. It was Jesus who declared in the midst of an honor killing, remembering remember this same gospel, the gospel of John, that, that in the midst of, as they're preparing to kill a woman who has been accused of adultery, never mind, that, never mind the fact that we don't have the man anywhere in sight, but we're ready to kill this woman, it's Jesus who says, well, then that's fine and good. Whoever, ha- whoever has a sin, let's pick up the stone and get going. And we find that nobody's there left to throw the stone. It was Jesus bringing women alongside him to serve on his mission. Women like Mary Magdalene. During a time when others would not have been caught dead with them. The disciples may have been shocked, but Jesus was in the business of affirming the unique value and the unique worth of women from the beginning. But yes, the disciples were shocked. Notice the words. They marveled at this sight. Marveled at the sight of Jesus talking to a woman. But it's not even just that that's marvelous. 
Jesus was speaking to a woman, but he was speaking to a Samaritan woman. And this is what the woman picked up on. The disciples picked up on the fact that Jesus was speaking to a woman. The woman picked up on the fact that he was speaking to a Samaritan woman. Verse 9, the woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jewish women during this time were already treated a notch below. But a Samaritan woman was to the Jewish people almost subhuman. The worst thing that a Jewish person could be called in that day was a Samaritan. It's like a yo mama joke. A widely used proverb, a, a Jewish proverb, states that a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than swine's flesh. Did you hear that? However, however, think, think about it now. Jewish women are below, but Samaritan women are even lower. As a matter of fact, the oral Jewish law, the oral Jewish law called the Mishnah, it is declared in there that all the daughters of Samaritans, listen, are menstruant, menstruants from their cradle. Menstruants from their cradle. Did you hear that? Do you know what that means? Think about a woman and her time of the month, and think about the, Jeru- think about the Jewish culture that says that during that time of, the month, time of the month, the woman is considered unclean. And basically, in oral Jewish law, it said that for a Samaritan, that woman is unclean from the time she is born, in the same way that a woman is unclean during certain times of the month. That's how low on the totem pole a Samaritan woman was to Jews. And Jesus is speaking to her. It's not far-fetched to say that this woman was no more precious to many of the Jews than the dirt on the bottom of their feet, and yet Jesus is speaking to her. And not only is Jesus speaking to a woman and a Samaritan woman, but Jesus is speaking to a sexually provocative Samaritan woman. Now, this doesn't catch the disciples off guard because the disciples don't know this woman. And this doesn't catch the woman off guard because the woman doesn't know that Jesus knows her like that. But Jesus knows. And yet, he's speaking to her. As a matter of fact, Jesus announces to the woman that he knows, doesn't he? In verse 16, he says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Uh-oh. What you have said is true. Jesus pulls her card. This woman was under normal circumstances in this particular day, in this particular culture, so unapproachable. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan woman. She's a Samaritan woman that's been married five times. She's a Samaritan woman that's shacked up after being married five times. Rabbi said you can get married three, and after that, we got to call it quits. That's what they said. She's been married five. After five times? What, what, what do people begin to say after that? It can't be those guys, right? It has to be her. 
Can you hear? Can you imagine the whispers this woman gets? Day to day walking to and fro, fetching water out of the well. Can you imagine the looks? Can you imagine the stares? As a matter of fact, even theologians believe that part of the reason that we are told that it's the sixth hour, that being noon, 12 o'clock, part of the reason is because this woman in particular does not jail well with the rest of the women. Because the rest of the women, normally they go in groups to fetch water, and they go normally in the, in early in the morning, or they go late in the evening, okay? But here this woman is by herself going at 12 o'clock in the middle of the day, smack dead in the middle of Samaria. And some theologians believe the reason for that is because of the isolation she faces because of all the other issues that come with her. And Jesus is speaking to her. Amongst a nation of rejects, because that's what Samaria is for the Jews, a bunch of rejects. Amongst a nation of rejects, she would stand out as the most rejected. For a Jewish man within 10 million miles to even think about puckering his lips to utter words to this woman would be unthinkable. And yet here's Jesus making a very simple but very profound and very dignity-affirming request. Can I get a drink of water? Jesus steps beyond this woman's shame. He steps beyond this woman's isolation. He steps beyond this woman's brokenness. And he elevates her to a place where she belongs. Regardless of her cultural upbringing, regardless of her gender, regardless of her marital status, she is still created in the image in likeness of God, and thus deserving of her dignity being affirmed. And Jesus does that in a way that no other would even think about doing. The woman at the well shows us that Jesus is most, oft, most often, that, rather that Jesus is often most comfortable engaging the people we would never engage and speaking to the people that we would never utter a word to. And so despite everything that would keep other people away from this woman, a gospel conversation begins. There's two healthy applications that we need to pull from this, that that flow from this text, right? First application is this. As a follower of Jesus seeking to live out his example in my life, am I positioning myself to engage those that the religious, would, the religious world would consider it shameful to even speak to? Am I intentionally engaging the people that the religious world would be ashamed to even speak to? Because that's what Jesus does. But the second application is this. Am I, as one who is maybe on the opposite side of this, maybe, maybe I'm the one that has been, that, that is considered shameful. Maybe I'm the one that's been deemed disposable. Am I 
the one that has been deemed disposable and wasted goods, am I ready to be engaged by the Christ? Do I think his gospel is too good for me? Do I keep running to more and more destructive behavior in some way because I believe deep down inside that I deserve it? Have have I missed the fact that the gospel is precisely for folks like me? That's the context. Let's look at the content. So Jesus affirms this woman's dignity. He affirms this woman's value with one sentence. Can Can I get a drink of water? And then he begins a conversation, one that begins with water and ends with worship. If we're we're trying to tie a neat bow around this conversation, I believe we can say that it comes down to this. The first thing that it comes down to is this. I have something you need, you just don't know it yet. I have something you need, but you just don't know it yet. Verse, Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? The answer is yes, but she doesn't know that yet. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She doesn't get it yet. He says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would be asking me for a drink. But Jesus is, is, is seeking to take her past the satisfaction that simple physical thirst brings. We often land here, right? That's where we land. We always land in the natural. We always land in the physical, believing that if we can have our physical needs met, then we will be just fine with everything. Everything will fall into place if I could just get this in line, if I could just get that job in line, if I could just get promoted on that job, for example, if I could just have that man, honey, you just don't know how funny, if I could just have him, or if I could just have that girl, man, you just don't know, if I could, if I could just have her, if I could just have things, I'd be all right. All of which, by the way, can be enticing. All of which can be attractive. But they can only fill your cup up just enough to keep you going. It's like when you're in high school, and maybe even right now, you, you go to the gas station and you say, hey, <laughs> give, me, give, me, give, me, give me three on pump 10, right? <laughs> Times are tight, <laughs> you know? <laughs> give me three on pump 10. That's all I got. And, that, and, that's, and, that's what, and that's what all of these pursuits do for you, don't they? They just give you enough to get by. Moving from the next, not satisfied. Moving to the next, still not satisfied. Moving to the next, still not satisfied. And Jesus is saying, listen, I got water for you that will eternally satisfy you. You'll never have to go to the well again. Your search will be over. 
He takes us beyond the physical and the natural by showing us that we need something that will satisfy our soul's eternal thirst. The second way to wrap this conversation up is to, is to put it this way. What you think you currently have is not what you currently need. Or what you think you currently have is not what you really need. And you just don't know it yet. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. How did this conversation take such a sharp turn? We were talking about water a second ago, Jesus. Now y'all in my house and all in my business and talking about who I'm married to and who I'm not married. What, what is going on? Are we talking about water or are we talking about marriage? What's going on? Having a conversation about living waters was Jesus' way of saying, you're searching, but you're still empty. You're still thirsty. But in me is the satisfaction that your soul really needs. You're searching. That's why you're living with this guy. You're searching. That's why you've been married five times. Jesus was providing an invitation to come and embrace him, to come and trust him as Savior and as Lord. But the invitation comes at a cost. See, and this is why he brings this whole matter up and brings it to the table. Because to drink from this well, we must seek, we must cease, rather, drinking from our own. To drink from his well, we must cease drinking from our own. These living waters come at the cost of sacrificing what you believe makes you who you are. This woman found her fulfillment in the arms of a man. These relationships brought some sort of security to her. They brought some sort of comfort to her, some sort of some measure or some form of identity to her, to her. And so it is here that Jesus fixes his gaze upon. That's what he does. So it is with all of us. Wherever we find the most security, the most comfort, the, the, whatever it is that defines us, whatever it is that identifies us or marks us, whatever it is that we feel like will give us ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and identity is and will always be where Jesus will start first. Because that's the place where we find idolatry. That's the place where we find worship. That's the place where our heart is captivated and captured by. So when the light shines in your heart, where is that place for you? Some people it's sex, other, other people it's power, other people it's money, other people it's respect, other people it's family. When Jesus visits you at the well, he will always come seeking that very thing to be placed on his altar. That's where he's going first. And so the conversation abruptly goes from living water to men. Because that's what she feels like I gotta have. 
third thing we can take from this conversation is that what you want is the satisfaction of your soul. What you want is something worthy of your worship. That's what you really want. Something you can truly rest in. Something you can truly depend on. Something you can truly count on. Something that you know will never cease being. It will always be there. That's why you keep searching, right? That's why you work, you know, work like a dog even though you don't have to work like a dog. That's why you, that's why you feel like you have to share, uh, you know, buy, buy the most expensive things and drive the most expensive things because, you, because you, you, you find your identity in those things. That's why you run from man to man. That's why you run from woman to woman. That's why, that's why you do those things because you're still searching for the satisfaction of your soul. You're still searching for something worthy of worship. Now, notice how the conversation that they are having literally leads the woman to a discussion about worship. She brought the discussion up on her own. As, as Jesus begins to point out the, 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 the places of idolatry in her heart, worship begins to come up as a, as a point of discussion. She says, hey, Jesus, I got, I got a question for you. I perceive that you are a prophet because you just told me about some business that I didn't share with you. But our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So the woman perceiving this moment as an opportunity to understand what worship really is goes from a form of worship built in empty pleasure to a form of worship built in empty religion. Anybody ever move from that place, from one place to the next, right? You go from empty pleasures, say, I'm not club hopping anymore, right? Throwing that away. Well, I'm not chasing women anymore. I'm not chasing men anymore. I'm tossing that aside, right? Then you jump, then you jump the ship. You jump the ship, empty pleasures, and what do you do? Jump on the boat of empty religion. Law, rules. Anybody ever been there? And so she moves from this discussion about a man and men to, well, what, what, what mountain should we worship on? Trying to secure satisfaction somewhere else. If I can't find it in pleasure, maybe I can find it in custom and tradition. If I can't find it breaking the rules, maybe I can find it in keeping them. And Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He says worship doesn't take place in a place. Worship is not confined to a mountaintop. Worship is not confined to a building. 
Worship is not confined to a day of the week. Worship is not even confined to a diet. Worship is not confined to a ceremony. Worship, true worship, is found in only one place. And that place happens to be a person. Jesus. And Jesus completely infiltrates everything. So it's not just a place. Worship of Jesus takes place everywhere. It's not just a time. Worship of Jesus happens at any time. It's not just a, it's not just a particular diet. Whatsoever you eat and whatsoever you drink, do it to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He infiltrates everything. And so worship becomes bigger than simple, simply locale or geography. It becomes relationship and fellowship. True religion. is always submersed in fellowship with God. Jesus isn't inviting you into just another empty pursuit. He is, he is inviting you into eternal fellowship between him and his people. He is inviting you into eternal friendship, covenantal, familial, and satisfying. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming the who, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I speak to you, or I who speak to you, am he. Now, now let's, 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 let's back up and let's talk a little bit about what all has happened. Let's talk about the change that's taking place in this conversation. There's two, there's two things I want to focus on. One is the progression of her knowledge. And the other is the progression of her own transformation. The, pro the progression of her knowledge and then the progression of her own transformation. The progression of her knowledge. Notice that, that not only does the conversation continue to deepen with each exchange, but the woman's insight into who Jesus is continues to deepen. In the beginning, he's just a Jew, right? Some Jewish guy asking for a drink of water. And then... We begin to have a little conversation. He becomes more than that, doesn't he? Now he's a prophet. I perceive that you're a prophet because you're telling me things that nobody else knows. You're piercing into my heart and you're, you're shining light in dark places that you should have no idea about. But by the end of the conversation, she's asking questions about who? The Messiah. The Savior. The one who has come to redeem, not just Israel, but, but her people. Now, now you say, well, well, Samaritans, I don't get it. They didn't even read all the Old Testament, did they? No, they didn't read all the Old Testament, but they read the first five books. They subscribed to the first five. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they, they subscribe to those. And guess what? In those, they see the Christ. In Genesis 3, the one that comes that will crush the head of the serpent. They say, that's the Messiah. The one that comes after Moses that will be greater. They say, that's the Messiah. Do you understand? 
And so when they, and so they're reading those five books and they're waiting on the Savior. And this woman is sitting in this conversation. She's at this well, and the deeper Jesus digs, the higher her knowledge of who is in front of her rises. But not only does knowledge rise or progress, so to speak, but also change. Verse 29, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Starts out, her dignity is affirmed just by a drink of water. He lets her know, I see you, right? Everybody, everybody else is walking by you. Nobody wants to be seen with you, right? You, you got you to gotta come out in the, in the heat of the day because none of the women want to be around you. But I see you. I see you. You are valued. You are worthy. Her dignity is affirmed, and her worship is redirected. She goes, from, she goes from worshiping in the arms of a man to beginning to inquire about worship in the arms of her Savior. It goes from being redirected from, from empty pleasures to empty religion to a real and present God. And then what else happens? Well, what the natural progression of when our worship finds its home, its true home, is mission. And so she goes from having dignity affirmed, value established, worth built, to having worship pointed in the right direction. And when worship is pointed in the right direction, her heart leaps when she thinks about, who can I go tell about this man? That's what happens when real worship takes place. When, when, when our hearts are redirected and, and, and we finally find the satisfaction that we have been aching for, right? You know that feeling. I know that feeling. The satisfaction that you have been aching for going from place to place, jumping from person to person, moving from job to job, career to career, purchase after purchase after purchase. And when you finally find the satisfaction that your heart has been aching for, you say, I got to tell somebody about this. Right? I mean, who, who finds that? And then responds by saying, well, you know, I mean, come on, it really don't take all that, does it? <laughs> right? Right? Who, who finds that it does that? You haven't found true worship yet. You're still searching for it. If you can, if you can gaze, listen, if you can go to the Grand Canyon and, 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 and put your foot at the edge and and just watch it, right? And just look at it and, be, and, and, and just be small in the midst of its vastness. And then turn around and say, eh, you know, it was all right. You ready to go? <laughs> then you haven't seen the canyon. You haven't seen it yet. And so, and so the same thing comes with Christ. If you, if you are 
moving about and saying, well, it don't really take all that, then you haven't gazed at him yet. You haven't seen him. But this woman has. And so when this woman sees him, she says, come see a man that has told me, that has read my life. Could this be the one? Now, I want you to see what happens here as we close. Think about it. Think about it. So, Jesus being who Jesus is, he takes a woman, right, that nobody wants to talk to. Nobody wants to be around. Nobody wants to hang out with her, right? They're not going to invite her to our game night, right? Nobody's inviting this sister to game night, okay? And he takes this woman he sends her on mission. You go tell them. And guess what happens? They listen. And they respond. Isn't that like Jesus? Isn't that just like Jesus? He takes, he, he, he Jesus, sometimes the greatest stories of shame are merely footsteps away from the greatest displays of redemption when it comes to Jesus. He takes the most shameful amongst us, according to the world standards, and he sends us out. He tells us, go. Nobody would accept the witness of women. But who were the first people to witness the resurrection? Women. No one wants to talk to this woman. But who talks to her? Jesus. Jesus is in the business of always taking the rejected and redeeming them for his purposes and his use. None of us are too far gone. Are you tracking with that? None of us are too far gone. You say, none of, well, I'm not that far gone anyway. Well, none of us are qualified either. It's him who does it all. He redeems, he restores. He qualifies, he sends, he empowers. And he's available to you today. You don't have to be a woman in the room to receive him. I know the message was pointed towards our sisters. But brothers, if you do not know him, He's available to you today as well. All of us have open invitation into the arms of our Lord and Savior. Trust him with your life. Turn from the old. Turn to the new. Stop chasing the empty pleasures. And finally, for once, be filled forever.
Let's pray. Lord, we are sinners apart from your grace, your mercy. Father, we fail you in countless ways. We fail to see, Lord God, the beauty and splendor that is in your glory, Lord God. We fail to see you for who you are. Lord God, we chase empty and frivolous pleasures, seeking satisfaction, even when we know where true satisfaction lies. And so, Lord, we want to ask that you would forgive us. Father, I ask that you would help us continue to grow so that we would ache and yearn for true and abiding satisfaction that is only found in you. Father, I ask that you would help us in sending us out on your mission to tell the world, Lord, about this wonderful Savior who has given his life in order that men might be brought into fellowship with him and women might be brought into fellowship with him. Father, as we depart this place and we go and we celebrate uh, family, Lord, and we go and we exchange gifts and, and all the other things that may take place on today, Lord God, let us never leave, Lord God, this place and leave you behind. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that if there be any in this room who do not know you, that they would come to know you in your fullness, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the glory and honor. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.